Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. Hey guys, welcome to What Was Her Name? Um, I'm here with my guest, Michelle. I'm just really eager to uh, talk to Michelle. Um, Just a quick backstory. Um, Michelle is somebody who has shared her story publicly, and I actually had come across a video um, of her story on YouTube around two years ago, and it was the first video that I ever saw that really made me feel like maybe God wasn't disappointed in the fact that I had gotten divorced um, because God doesn't condone abuse um, in marriage. And um, really, I think that video was placed in my path obviously for a reason. And so to come full circle and to have this podcast and this space where people are sharing their stories with um, domestic abuse and to be able to interview Michelle um, and just come in and be able to actually have a conversation with her is really full circle and really God. So I'm really excited that you're here, Michelle. If you would, I would love for you to just introduce yourself so that people can kind of get to know who you are. All righty. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me today. Um, sometimes there's kind of a lull when I'm able to share. So this is a great time for me to be able to do this. Thank you. My name is Michelle Armstrong Howard. Um, there is a reason for the two last names we'll get into later. Um, I'm 57 years old. And when I was eight, no, no, I'm sorry. When I was 16, um, I met my uh who would become my abuser. Um, I was a, let me think, a junior in high school, and uh, he was 28 at the time. So, and we had a 30-year marriage, and then I have been out of that marriage for approximately 10 years, a little over 10 years, actually about 13 years now. So, Hmm. yeah, it's been a good journey. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wow. So then you guys had met when you were pretty young then. Yeah. Yes. I was, I was 16 and I met him at a, um, a Christian conference, uh, believe it or not. My father had actually met him before and was of course very enamored with him the way most people are with, uh, narcissist abusers. Mm -hmm. And, so he came home, you know, singing this man's praises, and then I eventually met him at a Christian conference of about 10,000 people when I was 16. So, of course, I was very enamored with this 28-year-old, what looked like God um, from on, in the flesh to me, almost uh, gorgeous uh, physically, and uh, of course, very, very, uh, he was... Um, he was able to just present himself as a very godly man, uh, could command a room, very charming, all of that. So I was very enamored at 16. Yeah. And also being so young, I think like just something that I had, I wrote a piece on this um, over the last couple of months, but it was just about how, like, I think a lot of times like in, our youth, like as Christians, um, if you are a Christian, if you're listening, I know some people aren't, um, we have a lot of different beliefs here, but, um, when you are taught what to look for, um, the first thing is like somebody who loves God, a godly man. 
Um, but just because someone is going to a church conference or um, goes to church or says that they're Christian does not mean that that's the green light for a uh, you know safe, healthy, stable Absolutely. human. Absolutely, I think part of the problem. Um, don't get me wrong, the church, the way that he intended it and the way it should be and the way it is in a lot of cases. But when it's not the way it should be, um, sometimes the church actually propagates that abuse by the, uh, you know, the man is the head of the wife and, you know, you submit to him calling him Lord the way Sarah did and those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. So it propagates our position as the, you know, queens, the princesses that God intends us to be, it propagates that that is now demoted um, into a subservient kind of uh, lifestyle Mm -hmm. and propagates um, the abuse without really meaning to. I I don't think any church or any human intends to propagate abuse, but they're so uh, set on, you know, the man being the head of the household. And of course we know how Jesus is the head of us and Jesus is the head of the church. He leads by love and by, um, uh, servanthood and all of that. But, um, it's become twisted as, as the enemy would have it to be. Right. So, Well, what do you think? Like, I, I almost think that there needs to be like a better foundation for, um, like what submission really looks like, because I think, um, like you said, a husband is the head of the household, but I think a lot of times, um, and that's something that I was communicated to, I don't know if you were, but it's kind of like, well, you're my wife, and so you're called to submit to me. And so I thought that submitting meant, um, con- I mean, it was condoning abuse because I didn't understand true submission and what that meant component. And maybe people don't always fully understand submission and so it's easily like the enemy just easily wraps that up and can like yeah. mm-hmm. yes it's um it's very unfortunate and i i think uh some um faiths you know slash churches um uh kind of um are a little that lean a little more in that direction anyway And so, um, and then after I left, I started hearing stories of, you know, ministers and, and some of them kind of well-known, um, you know, actually almost condoning, um, abuse. Uh, I I remember one story, a woman showed up with two black eyes and, uh, and the, the, the man almost praised it because it, it eventually brought the man to church. Well, no, that's, that's not the way it goes. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, uh, submission is, um, something that happens, I think out of a deep love and respect because the person or in the relationship with Jesus, he honors you. He loves you. He comforts you. He serves you in um, the most godly of ways. He protects you, makes you feel like the queen and the princess that you are. And then suddenly submission is almost a, a natural response to that because it's like, I want to, um, you know, I want to submit to him as 
the head of the house. That doesn't mean that you don't have an opinion, which is how I was pretty much taught. You Mm -hmm. don't have you don't have feelings on the subject. And if you do, you certainly don't express them. You don't have uh, a right to um, uh, voice your disagreement or, um, you know, do, do that your, your desire to do things a different way. It's just there are so many things that are just stripped away from you, your whole person, who you are, your being. All of that is just stripped away. Uh, because you be- have now become this sort of an object, um, you know, and uh, it's it's just really a shame. Yeah, it is, and I think it's it's going to be helpful just to have a place here where people, hopefully, my prayer is that people can um, land on this episode and maybe not even knowing what they're fully listening to, and then it reaches someone out there because. I think bringing awareness and talking about these subjects, um, I, I know that there are women or men who are in, re- you know, uh, relationships and they are Christians and they are suffering underneath this and it's out of alignment of the father's heart for them. And so, um, yeah, because that's the, the main reason that I stayed for 30 years was because, first of all, um, you know, divorce was not an option. I mean, that just, because I was taught, I pretty much felt I was going to hell um, for divorce. Um, And and if not going to hell, at least that I was going to be severely uh, punished and in a very bad relationship with with God. Um, So, that's first of all, that was one thing. Another thing is that I so wanted to please God that I didn't think that there was a way out because as as a Christian woman, I had been so brainwashed into believing that, you know, submission means that I lose who I am. Mm-hmm. And a submission means that, you know, you, uh, it doesn't matter how you're being treated, you be, you, you know, you, the, you be the prayer woman, the praying, the praying wife, you be the one that changes, you be the one that makes things better. And then it just becomes this vicious cycle of trying to improve yourself. And no matter how much you improve yourself, you will never change that person. And they want to be, and unless they submit to God and God has the power to do that, but they have to be willing. And so, yeah, it's a, um, when you're wanting to please God, sometimes we miss his true heart because we're so afraid that, you know, the way I was um, raised, the faith I was raised in, I think also made me feel like, you know, one wrong move and God is just waiting to throw me into the flames of hell. And that is not the God that I know now. Mm-hmm. That is who God is. Mm-hmm. And he is the the redeemer and the restorer and he's the father and he loves his daughters he loves his sons he loves us he calls us to him to be close to his heart it's i mean if you know those of us that have children we can't even imagine just waiting to you know throw them into punishment and no we want to love them and nurture them and um, so it's a misguided, uh, 
a misguided notion of what God expects of us for sure. Yeah. No, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you hit it, you hit it on the nail. Like I think that's, that's like identical to how I felt, um, at a young 20 years old, um, and wanting to please God so much that I, out of that, um, desire and to please him and that fear to make one wrong step and then be out of the will of God, like God is so sovereign. And like, I think that's something that like I've learned through this process is like that, you know, the father's heart, like you said, isn't to, you know, like with our own children, it's like, I think it gives you a better perspective of the father's love for us when you have kids. And then you realize that kind of love and you're like, whoa, God could have an even bigger, even greater, even longer stretch of love than like we could ever have. And so it's like, that kind of love for us, but also that he is so sovereign that like, I think being like this, you know, wanting to be in the will of God is God, right? Like that's a thing that is placed inside of us, inside of our spirits to want to be aligned with God and be in his will. But when it comes from a place of fear and you're just constantly afraid that if you uh, date this person or if you do this or if you don't do this, that you're just going to be out of the will of God and then it's just done for you. Like that's not God's heart and that's not how God works. And I think a lot of, um, I was raised like, I was raised with that mindset as well. So I can, and it, it, if it's not corrected, it can, it can, the enemy can take that and really use that, especially like when it comes to an abusive relationship, you know, something for me that I held on to. And I remember consistently looking at the Bible to try and find some sort of like, almost like loophole for something in his word that would tell me that it was okay to get divorced. I thought that I couldn't get divorced because he wasn't having an affair, but Mm -hmm. What's your take on this and when it comes to abuse in scripture? Well, I believe that the covenant was broken long before. Um, you know, I think I think in most abusive relationships, the covenant is broken before any kind of um, cheating situation may or may not arise. Um, because, you know, um, God says that he was divorced from the, um, he was going to divorce himself from the Israelites. Um um, and it, 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 he didn't actually, per, he didn't actually, of course, um, you know, fill out a piece of paper of divorce. It was just that the covenant that they had made with him, they had broken. And so the covenant is broken in so many ways. The covenant of marriage, you know, to, 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 uh, lead, to love me, to honor me, to all of those things that was broken almost the first day. And so I had to realize that. And also before, as I was leaving, as I was contemplating leaving, I was like, you know what? If God loves me and he sees my whole life has been completely surrendered and committed to him. And then, and then if this is going to throw me into hell, then I have a really skewed, uh, relationship with God. Right. So, yeah. So he saw, he sees your heart. That's the thing. God sees the heart. Yeah. There are, there are verses that we can like, you know, oops, that tripped me up. Oops, that tripped me up. But the the fact is our whole being is committed to God. And so in that, out of that comes this God, I am imperfect. I am human. I am in a terrible situation and I know this is not what you want for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that stops, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. And I think 
I think that you actually remind me, did you maybe, did you talk about this in one of your YouTube videos? Because um, someone I, talked about this at once and it sounds very similar to what you're saying, but it could just be at this point, I've just talked to so many people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know what? It's been a while since I did a couple of my videos. I know maybe, maybe one of them I did. I'm not sure. I also did, um, I've shared some things like on social media from my book that I wrote, um, you know, um, in, in the book, I wrote a, that kind of thing. So I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I've been saying that for, for years now. <laughs> it's, just, it's just such an untalked about subject in my opinion. And I think it's like, it just, I feel very passionate about having a place where people can come and like hear that because I think nobody in my opinion is talking about it in church. And so I oh. feel like, and, and even just, especially like when it comes to, I mean, there just seems to be this conversation that's repetitive that I've found throughout a lot of the women that I interview um, that are Christians within church that the question is brought up of like, does he hit you? Does he give you a black eye? Does he, you know, you have bruises? And then um, more than not, most of them aren't aren't suffering from actual physical abuse, but psychological, um, emotional, married to narcissistic men or whatever it may be. Um, and, um, or, you know, emotion like manipulative men and it's, it's really taxing on their health and they're just sort of fading away. But, um, there's this question of like, okay, well, if they haven't hit me and if I don't have bruises, then I can't leave because maybe it's, I'm, they don't even realize that they're actually being abused. And, it's just really, I feel really passionate about like having a place where people can come and know what the Bible says about that and like really digging into that. And then my, my, my trauma therapist, he's, we're getting off tangent, but he, he is amazing. And he, um, he is a pastor and he used to be a police officer. He's just like this crazy old man, like who's just had so many, um, jobs and he, um, has seen domestic violence in his own family since he was a boy. His mom was, uh, a victim of domestic abuse. And, um, his dad actually went to jail for manslaughter. Like, um, and he ended up committing his life to, um, helping, uh, people um, in domestic violence situations. And he's a pastor and he really digs into what the scripture says about, um, you know, divorce, but also just the father's heart and how it breaks covenant um, when abuse is involved, not just physical abuse. It's uh yeah, it's, it has to be. And that, that's the reason that I, I wrote the book. I didn't know another really platform. I'm, I mean, I have you know, decent following on, on some social media platforms, but not anything, but that one video that you saw got 76,000 views. I, I don't even know how, but it did. Um, but, um, the, the, but the reason that I wrote the book, same thing was because I was like, somebody somewhere has got to say something about this subject in the church. And I did that. And then not only did I tell my own story in detail, very gruesome details <laughs> in, in, uh, emotionally gruesome. Um, I also included, um, the stories of other women, uh, short excerpts of stories of other women that had reached out to me and, uh, they're, they're, they're heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. And yeah. it's gotta be 
Yes. And, and the women were either in church or were ministers, daughters and wives, that sort of thing. And uh, it's got to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, okay, let's get into your story. Because Yeah, okay. Maybe even at some point, I mean... I'm going to definitely do this episode with um, my therapist. He already has, um, he has a whole thing prepared for this, but maybe at some point, even if you wanted to, we could just have a separate conversation about this because I feel like it needs its own place almost like apart from, it involves your story. So it will naturally be talked about, but I feel like it involves its own place. And there's not a lot of people who are willing to talk about it. So that's why I'm like, honing in on you in the subject because I'm like someone's talking about it and I feel like you know you're where it started for me so oh you're so sweet I love that <laughs> you don't even watch that <laughs> okay I'm gonna just I will rewind back um so let me look at the questions so well, let's see I'll have to figure out where we can I'll probably add some of that in and then take some of that out but <laughs> Yeah, pull it up. I'm have to pull it too much. <laughs> no, me too. I'm like, wait, oh yeah, your story. I want to hear your story. Um, okay, so where did the abuse start? And I'd love to just kind of hear okay. that process. Yeah. So I met him when I was 16, as I said. And um, so he started like writing me letters and he was 28 years old. And so, of course, I was very enamored. By the time that I was 17, he had already um, asked my father if he could marry me. I had only seen him three times at that point. And he asked my father if he could marry me. And uh, so then there was a short engagement period um, of a few months. And during that engagement period is when I actually saw the first, um, you know, I think there was already some kind of manipulation going on, some, you know, subversive kind of things that were already going on. But I saw the um, what happened that actually like scared me was we were standing outside and he was angry at me for, um I think it was because I was telling him how I felt that day because he was making me feel very uncomfortable. And um, he got so angry at me and he punched the top of the car, which was my father's car that we were standing next to, and he stormed off. Mm-hmm. And I'd never seen anyone do that before, um, you know, kind of show a physical manifestation of that, of that anger. Right. And it really scared me, but... Um, you know, I, again, at this point I was 17 and I didn't know what I was looking at. I didn't know that it had a name. Um, I didn't know that that wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't acceptable in a, you know, dating relationship engagement, I guess by that point. So then as time went on, that sort of thing continued. Um, um, there, there's so, and, you know, in 30 years, there's going to be millions of episodes, I suppose, but it just kept escalating. I saw him punch out windshields. I saw him punch himself in the face. I saw him tear doors off of hinges. Um, I saw him, uh, you know, he pushed or grabbed me, those kinds of things. Uh, he grabbed me, my face and neck so hard one time that he bruised me. But it wasn't, you know, I, that is, I guess what you'd say somewhat physical, but it wasn't uh, like a punch in the face or anything like that. 
Um, so I just saw that through the years and it just became the way of life for me and found myself walking on eggshells to try to, you know, divert those kind of things happening, but they always did anyway. There's nothing you can do to stop them when they're go- when they're coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it just continued um, for 30 years and my kids became involved, you know, when, as, as they grew, um, he started threatening me with them. Um, it just, it was just an ongoing thing. And of course I was, you know, we were ministers throughout most of our marriage. And so I wanted to keep the, you know, the perfect little family persona. And so of course I didn't tell anyone, I didn't have many friends, kept the friends that I did have at, at arm's length so that they couldn't find out my secret, which I didn't know was a secret at the time. Mm. Uh, it was just, you know, survival mechanism, I, I suppose. And, uh, of course I always wanted to protect his image because he's the minister. Yeah. So, uh, even with my own family, I would try to protect his image, even though they saw terrible things happen. Um, you know, I would still try to protect him, but I think when it finally came to fruition was when he nearly killed us both by chasing me in a vehicle and his vehicle flipped and I, and of course I thought it was my fault if he was dead and that's a whole nother story. But Mm -hmm. I I was just going to say that when that happened that night in the middle of the night, I realized that he would control me to the death. Mm -hmm. Now may not have ever punched me, but there was other things that were quite violent and uh, there was sexual abuse and that sort of thing too. And so but that night when I saw that happen, I knew that he would control me to the death. And I knew I had to do something. And I was 47 years old before I had that awakening. Wow. So, um, for instance, there was, there was a time um, when um, we were sitting in a restaurant and he became angry. Um, it was a very simple conversation, just having a conversation of when we might have children. And I just simply said, well, we might need to do it soon because of your age. And what all I meant was, cause he was, you know, um, at that time, probably 30, 31 years old, he became so angry. He slammed the table in the restaurant and kind of halfway turned it over to where the food slid down into my lap and then stormed out of the restaurant. And, um, so here I am sitting there in a restaurant with everybody looking at me and just, you know, how, how do you explain? And then you automatically I'm thinking, okay, how do I cover this? You know, how do I make this better? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, and then, um, another, excuse me, another time I remember he got so angry at me that he started um, speeding in a car and was uh, throwing hubcaps. You know, he was speeding so much and going around curves so quickly and that sort of thing, like a hubcap flew off and he was driving very erratically, making me feel like I was in danger. And, um, and, uh, and then I think one of the worst was when, um, he 
he had said some really terrible things to me. So I got out of the car and I was walking and he wanted me to get back in the car. And at first I thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to be real rebellious and I'm not going to get in the car. But anyway, eventually I, I, I tried to get back in the car and he yanked me into the car and he ripped the dress that I had on down the middle. Mm-hmm. And then he grabbed me so hard by my face and by my arm, I could feel my, like his fingers, like crushing. It felt like my, um, cheeks into my teeth. And, um, and then I almost could feel like the, his fingers touching around my arm, just like, like squeezing so hard, um, that it, it felt like almost his fingers grinding into my bones. And, um, you know, he never punched me though, ever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was the closest to physical was that. And then the, the, the accident when he um, flipped his car chasing me in a vehicle, um, those things, you know, those things are the ones that stick out the most. But I will say it was almost daily, even if it was just a manipulative word or a, a control issue about, you know, what what I wore or didn't wear or those kinds of things. So. Yeah. How did this manifest um, in your daily life? Um, Like, how did it change you? Was it over a series of time, obviously, like it impacts you, but um, what did you do? Like, I know you said in in that survival mode to cope, you sort of isolated yourself and you were um, protecting his image. Um, But what were ways that you coped within the abuse that you looking back realized like, Oh, like I was definitely doing this, just trying to survive. It it, it was a daily struggle, um, to try to avert, you know, these explosive rages and situations and that kind of thing. So I found myself, I did, I, I found myself not ever voicing my opinion Um, I could never tell him no about anything. Um, and what happened was I just slowly lost who I was by enabling and kind of propagating him, um, and just leaving myself, uh, behind. I will say that God did give me, it seems like an extra measure of joy through all of that. And so I, I, I I have to say that overall I've 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 held on to joy. I can't say I've always been a, at, in a joyful mood, but in the overall sense, I did hold on to joy. But I know that it was uh, also there was the sick loyalty I think that came about, which they call Stockholm syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that came about because I even my family were starting to notice, and so I started turning on my family. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and I realized now that was a survival mechanism on my part so that everything didn't fall apart. Um, you know, you, 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 you build this loyalty to your quote captor, uh, your abuser to, um, to survive the situation. And so I started turning on my own family when they were bringing things up that he was doing, I would turn on them because they were, you know, they were kind of shattering my glass house, so to speak. Um, you know, that I had, uh, created this wall of protection and they were breaching that wall and I couldn't allow that. So for me, I was like really defensive. My my mom, yeah, she would say things. And I remember just being like, I would say like, divorce is not an option. Like, 
it's, it's off the table. Like it's not an option, you know, but she was like, you can't keep going on like this. And she would see that I was deteriorating over time, but I would get really upset because I, you know, felt like it was coming against my marriage, but I think I've never looked at it like that, but I think, yeah, it's part of it. It's just survival mode. Like you're just trying to survive and it's what did, what did you say? You're protecting that glass house that you. Yeah. Yeah. They were starting to, you know, kind of shatter that, what this, you know, breach this protective wall that I built around this facade of a marriage and, um, and it was scary and it's very scary. It's very scary when you start to realize when something starts to unlock in your brain or when someone kind of says something that triggers like, Oh, so this isn't right. You know, mm-hmm. there is questionable things going on. And, and then you're like, Oh no, I can't go there. So defense, you know, so I turn against that person or I, you know, get angry with them or, you know, get, get indignant with them because, you know, they're seeing something that I almost unconsciously, um, was was trying to hide. I really did not know. I did not know that I was in abuse and I could not and would not use the word until months after I left Mm. months. Couldn't use the word. I, I never even occurred to me that that was happening. Um, yeah, I just knew it was crazy. That's all I knew. Yeah. Either that I was crazy <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Well, you feel like you feel like you're going crazy. Like, and yes. that's, that's why I'm like, you said it and I've heard so many people say it and I've said it and it's like, but he never punched me. And that phrase for me, I don't think it will ever get. I I don't know. Every time someone says that just sends chills down my spine because I just hear the, like the levels of just um, grief and and pain that people go through and the years and years of suffering that people have. Um, But it's like, almost like we're all waiting like for this punch because we think that then that, that excuses us from being in marriage with someone when the effects, like the long lasting effects of like mental psychological abuse is so harmful to like our central nervous system. It's so harmful to our mental health. Like, and it over time, like that can kill you or make you go crazy, literally go crazy. Like yes. give people, you know, uh, mental illnesses that they didn't have before. Like it's, it's crazy. Well, I am a strong woman. I, 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 and I know that for sure now, but I, I've always believed I, I was strong, but I will say toward the end, you know, 30 years where was on you. And toward the end, I was spending a lot of time in bed and I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I know that the, that it was all just caving in and believe it or not, when you're talking about the central nervous system and all of that, years after I left, all of my hormones bottomed out. And I, I literally thought I was dying. I had no idea what was going on, but something was wrong. So I, I try to go as natural as possible and holistic as possible. I love physicians, love doctors, all of that. But I'm just saying in my situation, I wanted to try to go as holistic and natural as possible. So I went to a woman and she corrected. I, I literally, some of my hormones could not even register on, on their tests, on their blood tests. She took a full panel blood test. And she told me, 
she said, this is caused by trauma and I, or uh, no, by stress is what she said. And I said, well, I'm in the process of writing a book right now. She said, oh, no, 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 no. She said, this is caused from the stress of the 30 years that you lived in before. And when I looked back, I was like, well, of course, because there were times, literally, I would bleed for 30 days at a time, female bleeding, 30 days at a time. And I had no idea why. And we could not fix it. Mm, wow. And I know now it was because my hormones were already screwed up back when I was, you know, 20, 19, um, you know, and here I am at 40, at you know, 50, whatever years old going to this, you know, woman to fix my hormones. And she's telling me, oh, no, no, this happened a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I know. <laughs> it's amazing. So that, that just confirms what you were saying about that, what it does to the nervous system and all of that. It's, it's unbelievable what it does to you physically. Yeah. 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 No, I agree a hundred percent. Um, and people just, I think we just, people, we just don't talk about it. So people don't realize it. And so I think it's really good that we're just talking about it today and that you have that, like, not it's good that, not good that you have that experience, but I think, um, it's going to help people whenever like they're listening to this because I think um I don't know there's just a lot of yeah I don't know I'm like it, I'm like blown away your story resonates so much with me and it's so similar to mine that sometimes it's eerie like when I hear people's stories and they're so like it's different but it's just the stuff that you walk through and it's just crazy to me like I don't know <laughs> I know, I know. And see, that's what, that's part of the reason that I included so many other women's stories um, in my book was because I was like, y'all, see, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one. This was happening to um, other women. You know, it was happening. They're, they're, they're having the same experience as me. Look what they said, you know, same kind of thing. And just a side note, you know, that how we talk about um, when we said, but he never punched me. I almost... Well, let me put let me put it like this. That t- that ran through my mind to be a title for my book, mm. but never punched me. Um, but I, I ended up with hidden bruises and holy places. But um, yeah, it was uh, I, I that went through my mind to have that as the title. But he never punched me. Yeah. That's a good title. I mean, you're, there's always a room for a second book <laughs> as well. <laughs> you know what? For sure. That's what people have been saying. So. Too, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go back through all that trauma, though. <laughs> oh, I know. It could even be a memoir for other women as well, though, like a collection of stories, you know? But he never this punched me. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just shocking what people go through and women, especially I'm not saying men do go through it. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I even state that in my book. Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, usually men are the perpetrators, perpetrators of it. Uh, And, uh, but yeah, it's some crazy stuff that goes on in your, in the church, they're afraid to talk about it. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, sometimes, I mean, just, well, I mean, we got to be honest here. Sometimes they're afraid to talk about any sin or any weakness that is actually going on in the church. They generalize things and, you know, all of that. And so people are afraid to come forward with the things that they're struggling with or that's going on behind closed doors. And um, that's part of the reason that I was, I, I was like, I've got to try to be a voice. I've got to try to be a voice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more ones like you and me band together, 
um, and try to, you know, create this um, atmosphere of awareness that y'all, you need to be looking at this in the church, you know? Yeah. When one guy was a leader in the church. I think he was a, a deacon in the church. And he told me, he said, after reading your book, he said, I am astounded about what all um, I've learned. And he said, I'm going to elders and everything now with this because we need to take care of this. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to just get into a little bit quick. It doesn't have to be long, but like, I would love to just know, I know that you said that you guys were ministers and um, you were involved in ministry, being abused behind closed doors. And I'm just curious, like, did you ever, did you ever like speak out to anybody within the church and what did they say? Or was it, did you keep it pretty quiet throughout those years of ministry? I never spoke out. Hmm. Ever, and the first time that anybody knew anything was when I left, wow. and and the the realization that I had to come to then because I will say this I loved ministry and I loved the people that we had been able to influence and all of that and that was part of the pressure of me leaving was like what will I do to these people what are they going to think how will it affect their relationship with God so many pressures and but when I decided to leave I was like okay here's the thing I can't control them I can't control what they think about me. I can't control anything. All I know is to save my life, I've got to do something. I've got to get out. And that's the realization that I had to come to, that it doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what people think. And that if people came to Jesus, you're not going to be the one that makes or breaks the relationship with him. So it's a lot of pressure. (laughs) Yeah. And so was he like preaching? Was he preaching? Yes. Yeah. And so how, what he did to cover it when I left was he told people that I was on a sabbatical Mm. and, uh, and then he started, um, calling and texting people that we had known around the country. You know, we knew literally thousands of people through the ministry and he was texting, calling them and having them call me and tell me, you know, that I needed to come back and, you know, uh, how much those people loved me and loved my, loved me and my husband and wanted to see us, you know, together. And I mean, pressure, 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 because he, you know, he wanted to make sure that I felt the pressure. (laughs) And then he even, um, said that he got more money from the church we were in. He got a thousand dollars more. So now I could come back. And I'm like, you literally think that I would come back. There's not a million dollars I would come back for, but you know, thought that was going to be some kind of great drawing card for me to come back that he, you know, got a thousand dollars more. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, So when I left and after he saw I wasn't coming back and the church saw I wasn't coming back, then he, you know, put himself in the hospital, you know, with, you know, heart pains and all kinds of things like that. And, you know, to make sure that everybody felt sorry for him and um, then, you know, ended up in bed for days and they had to come pull him out of bed. And I mean, you know, yeah, it became a theatrical 
um, expose, I guess, after that. Yeah. So <laughs> you, did you take, or were your kids already grown at that point or did you take? That's one pressure I didn't have. And I can't even deal with that because I didn't have that. I, one, one son was in college and he actually helped me leave. And the other son was married and lived in another state. And so thank goodness I didn't have to deal with that. So see that that's a, that's another level that I can't even like fathom. So you did have to go through that. So, you know, I, that's just, that's heart wrenching. I don't even know what I would have done in that situation. Yeah. Goodness. Well, I think that's why, like, it's, I just hear so many, um, I, I have so many moms, um, who, I've seen even go back um, in the last couple of months because they can't financially support themselves because they've been um, kind of stripped of their own mental health. But so they like can't hold a job because they're still dealing with all the PTSD. But then they also um, were on an income of a of their abuser because. Um, they weren't allowed to work. I was also sim. I wasn't allowed to work either, and so it makes it really hard for moms who have young children <clears throat> to be able to care for them. And if you don't have like somewhere to fall back on or a family who's willing to kind of you know help you out f- until you get your feet on the ground, I mean, I just it's really sad because I just see a lot of moms go back um, because oh, they think that that's yeah. the best thing for their child, but they it, to risk you know they're looking at homelessness. And so they end up going back. Um, Just heart wrenching when they do. And I wasn't allowed to work either. Um, I, and so, but again, I was at the point I was going to ride a bicycle, whatever it took for me to, to be able to um, make it on my own. But I did not have children and I can't even imagine what that's like. And so, yeah, cause I wasn't allowed to work either. Isn't that funny? There were so many that weren't allowed to work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, so I didn't know what I was going to do either, but I didn't have children. I didn't have their mouths to feed. If I starved, that's one thing. If I had to live, you know, on somebody's couch, that's one thing or whatever. If mm-hmm. I had to ride a bike, you know, or, from a shelter or whatever, that was me. But I didn't have my children to contend with. So I can't imagine what that's like. Mm. I think that's really where, like, just trusting God, like, and that's what's so hard is that, I mean, in this, this has become an easily like a ministry. And I think not everybody, you know, is that's listening, um, believes in God, which is okay. I mean, like, I'm never going to force or shove my beliefs down someone. Like, I can only, you know, say, well, I believe in you know, how God has impacted my life. And I feel like coming out of Europe and then having a little, a little one and not not having been able to work and, you know, my health deteriorating from it. I think God and just his provision is like what has carried me over the last two years. And I've seen him carry others as well. And so I think it's, it's hard and it's, it's really challenging. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, these are some of, I think sometimes I'm like, I hope that I look back on this season 
in like six years from now. And I'm like, wow, yeah, that was, and I'm like sharing my story somewhere. And I'm like, yeah, that was a really hard stage, but God really, you know, he look at where, look at where we are now in this redemption, because some of the days that I'm raising my son in this season, I'm like, this is hard. How is that relationship like with, with them and their father and you, how is that working? Well, I haven't laid eyes on him since the day I left. And um, we texted for a little bit, um, but then I, I kind of cut that off too because it, the, the, even the texts are toxic. I mean, I would, I would have diarrhea and flu symptoms and everything just from a text from him. So, um, so I have zero relationship with him, like zero, and, and haven't for – I left in 2012, so – 13 years. I mean, uh, 11 years now. So, um, but, uh, my, my sons, one had nothing to do with him for a while, like zero. And, uh, he slowly let him back into his life, um, on a limited basis. My other son had a relationship with him that was more of kind of, um, what is the word kind of almost like a Samaritan kind of relationship, you know, like my dad's got, got issues and I don't want to desert him. So I'm going to be there for him, but it's going to be on my terms kind of thing. Um, so, um, now they, that, I think that is growing. They have, um, indicated to me that there are at least some changes that have taken place and I'm grateful for that. Um, I'm grateful for any relationship they can have with him that's healthy for them. That's the main thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that if he's repentant and turning some things around, praise the Lord for that, because that's what redemption is all about anyway. Mm-hmm. But I have had no relationship with him and don't desire any. And prob- and I suppose we'll never have mm-hmm. any sort of contact with him or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that kind of where you're at too? Well, you have a son, a small son, so that may be different. I don't know, but um, I don't have any like contact with him at this point. Like we had a restraining order. I was clinging onto it for dear life for two years and then it just got dropped um, three months ago. Um, And he's just so he, but he's still fighting for joint custody of our son um, despite all the evidence that we have that he, oh, and so it's really scary. Um, just because I feel like we, we don't have any communication and, and like, I'm, I feel very similar to what you said that like, if that's what redemption's all about. And like, if he comes to, like repentance and he changes like and he gets his life together that's great for him like I I want that for him um but I think that I don't have any reason to be in relationship with him anymore um and for my son it's a very weird line just because of the abuse um because it's like I want I I just I don't know if like I want my son to, um, I think there, there will come a point where he's going to get curious and he's going to want to know, and he's probably going to want to meet him. I'm not really sure, but 
I think as long as I can protect him, I'm going to. And so the way that I see it is like, as long as I can guard your little heart, I'm going to do that. And then when I can't do that anymore and it's up to you, and if you want to make that decision to let him into your life, then okay. Like I'm not going to, you know, hold that from you, but as long as I can protect your little eyes and your little heart and mind, I'm going to do that, you know? So, right. Amen, sister. That's, that's all, that's what, you, that's all you can do. And man, we just need to pray for, um, continued protection for him, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Because uh, boy, that's, that's a struggle. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. I, I didn't have that to contend with. I mean, uh, unfortunately for my sons, I stayed too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they, they, there was some, some damage that was done that's being repaired as God is redeem, redeeming a lot of things. But, um, but I stayed too long. And mm-hmm. um, so, but having said that, because they were grown, I didn't have that to contend with when I left. So, yeah. So what made you leave and how did you do it? Like where, I know you said that he had, um, you realized that like to death, he was not going to stop. Um, was that the point where you realized like, I need to leave? And just how did that look when you left? Well, what happened was when that wreck happened, I remember I was standing freezing out beside the highway in the middle of the night and uh, his, his vehicle had flipped and I was standing there, you know, screaming, are you okay? Are you okay? And there was some blood on him and stuff. And come to find out his arm was just a little bit injured. But anyway, he was doing some crazy things. Even then I won't even get into it. It's a whole nother story. But I remember looking up at the sky and thinking, God, do you see do you see what I am dealing with? And it was like a voice inside me said, I've seen enough. And I don't know what that meant at that point. I just knew that there was going to be some freedom. And so um, I was already scheduled to go see my family, my parents. And uh, so I went to see them and I was like, I'm going to take this opportunity while I'm there. So when I went to see them in Texas, I lived in California at the time. When I went to see them in Texas, I just sat them down and I said, I, I let them in finally. And I, you know, things they had already seen, things they had already known. But I just said, you know, I can't do this anymore. And I just want y'all to know this is what's been happening. And so I started kind of retelling different events and that sort of thing. And they weren't surprised. They had seen so much. They pretty much knew. And, and, uh, and my dad said, you know, he just told me, he said, you, you know, you can come here, I'll protect you. I'll, you can live with me, you know, you can live with us, that sort of thing. And, uh, so I went back to California and my older, I mean, my younger son was living in California at the time. And so he actually uh, picked me up at the airport. He wouldn't let my uh, husband pick me up. He picked me up at the airport. I informed my husband I was leaving and I made sure we were in a public place and I was with my son who was an, you know, pretty much an adult at the time. And then um, uh, packed up some things. My son helped me pack and we left and came to stay with my family in Texas. I stayed there for three months. And then a whole other story about how God worked out a tremendous job for me in uh, Tennessee. And I've lived in Tennessee ever since. So, uh, What part yeah. are you living in? 
I live uh, now. I live on the mountaintop in a little bitty. It's not even a town. It's considered a uh, uh, what is it called? I can't remember. But anyway, we're in a community <laughs> called Grandview. Um, we are between Spring City and Crossville. I moved uh, actually when I was. Um, leaving the relationship, I, I moved to Nashville for three months. And then that boss that moved me to Nashville for that job ended up moving me to the Knoxville area. Mm. And that, that's where I met my second husband and I was married to him for seven years. And then he passed away suddenly. Mm. So about two months before he died, he had a heart attack and either he didn't know or he didn't tell me. And looking back, I remember one day he came in, um, he was working out in his garage and came in and I was like, well, this is odd for him to come in this early. And I thought, well, he's just coming in to sit down with me and watch TV. But, um, I think that's when he had his heart attack because four days later, um, he kept working and his mitral valve burst. And that was because the heart attack had done so much damage to his heart that the heart was pumping so much blood so hard and fast. And it pumped into his lungs and the valve burst in his heart. And, uh, and that was when I found out he'd even had anything wrong. And he was being ushered into and was in an ambulance the last time I spoke to him going to uh, the hospital. And they put him in Vanderbilt and hooked him up to every machine possible. He was pretty much dead when he went in. In fact, he had coded mm-hmm. and in the hospital. And then he was there for a week, but he was attached to, to uh, every machine you could be attached to pretty much the whole time he was there. And I just watched him slip away about uh, a week later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was very sudden. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's, uh, you know, again, the Lord is the ultimate redeemer and it was the hardest thing that what I went through in the abuse seemed like a piece of cake. Uh, you know, just a cakewalk compared to losing him. Um, but, you know, God is the God of redemption. And so here I sit on this beautiful 15 acres at the top of a mountain. I'm right now living in a fifth wheel, but <laughs> we're about our house. We're supposed to hear this week about our uh, financing for our house. And um, so I'm extraordinarily happy. I'm, I think I'll always be changed. Um, I don't want to say broken because I know that God repairs brokenness, but, you know, uh, kind of brokenness, um, maybe, maybe has been broken, but has been repaired with, you know, my seams, my cracks still may be showing and those kinds of things. But, um, so I'm extraordinarily happy, but I'll always, grief will always uh, be changed. I've, I will always be changed because of grief. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, life is, uh, it throws you curveballs. <laughs> yeah. And you, you know, these, these lessons that we're supposed to learn through trials and everything. And I'm just like, can I be done now? <laughs> <laughs> can we just, can we, I think I've gotten my lesson. I think I've learned everything I need to learn. Just like, just <laughs> And I just live now <laughs> and not be waiting for the next lesson to come around the corner. <laughs> yeah. So two things, just um, what are your visions and dreams and goals now? And um, I'd love to get into your book and you just can share that and just kind of like what you're up to right now. Okay. So uh, visions and dreams, um, I find that those can be a little bit 
fleeting um, because when I experienced the grief of losing my second husband, a lot of that shifted. Um, I always will be an advocate for women in any circumstance that they're going through that is difficult. It may, uh, my purpose in it may look different than what I thought, uh, even, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, but I will always be an advocate for women. And if God chooses to use me to speak on stages, which is what I was doing just before my husband died, I spoke to, you know, multiple at, at multiple venues, one venue had about 2000 women there. So it was, it was coming to fruition. Um, so if he chooses to do that, then he can, but right now I'm, uh, going to be, I think, writing some, um, uh, ebooks and devotionals and, uh, maybe even a cookbook and things like that. Um, it, on the heels of the, the big book that I wrote, um, mm-hmm. it was called, it's called hidden bruises in holy places. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, basically a memoir of my story combined with the stories of other women that had reached out to me that actually there's a lot of women that have worse stories than mine. And I included some of those in there and, uh, it, um, it did, I guess pretty well. It was, uh, on uh, shelves of Barnes and Nobles throughout different parts of the country. Um, I was able to get the Duck Dynasty, uh, a couple of members of the Duck Dynasty family to do the foreword. Uh, Al and Lisa Robertson wrote mm-hmm. the foreword in it for me. And, um, it was basically just because I needed a platform to speak out. I knew that this subject wasn't being spoken out about enough and especially not from, um, my perspective as far as being a minister's wife and, uh, that this goes on in the church. And I, you know, was determined to to tell my story and there's some very vulnerable, uh, places in there, some very ugly places. Uh, some people call me strong and courageous for that. I don't know if that is, that's what it was, or it was just more of a determination that other women don't suffer this same thing if I can do something about it. Mm -hmm. So I wrote that book. It was, uh, released in 2021, just after my second husband passed away. So I, I literally just kind of took my hands off of it because I, I was in that season of grief. So, um, so I, I, you know, the Lord can do with that what he wants. And then now I'm, um, creating a new life with now my third husband, (laughs) where you are farming, uh, this or about to farm this 15 acres that we live on on this beautiful mountaintop. And if God inspires me to write more then um, I will do that. And, uh, I'm just so excited about the future. It may be a simple, uh, quieter future than what I had envisioned, but, um, he always is the, the creator of all good things and creates beauty from ashes. So, that's where I'm at now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think it's amazing just um, like it just to come full circle with you and just to hear um, your story, but also <clears throat> I think it's just, I think like for you, just the impact that you had on me um, through that YouTube video and I remember just being so just broken and um, just desperate for like somebody to tell me that God wasn't disappointed in me. And yeah, yeah. 
And I sit there and Google search and I, I couldn't find anything. And I came across that YouTube video and I sat through that whole thing in absolute tears, like, because it gave me, it gave me hope, but it also, it gave me a glimmer of like hope, but it also showed me that like, just maybe God was not like, I didn't step out of the will of God. Maybe I actually like this, this was not the father's heart for me. Um, and if it weren't for that video, and I remember I watched that, I think I was a couple months out. Um, I probably could have went back. Like, I think I was really clinging to, uh, people at that point. Cause I was like, just trying to find something that would tell me that it was okay to like leave and it was okay to not go back because I um, could have went back. And um, I think God really paved that way. And your video um, impacted me in a, a massive way. And so it's just really, um, <clears throat> it's just really makes me emotional. And um, it's really beautiful because to sit here two years later with you and to um, hear your story, but also just to, just to hear your visions and dreams and the things that you've done, like writing this book and um, it's reaching other women and other men, like, and to know that um, I get to sit here with you on this podcast. So I'm not really, not even mine, but God's like, it's just something he planted in me and I'm doing, and I, it's just unfolded and, and um, become this platform for other women to share their stories, but to get to sit with you and to talk to you. Um, it's amazing. Um, you made my day. You made me cry, <laughs> but you made day too, because that's that I've always said, if my speaking out, if, if my speaking out can help one woman, if it, it, that it was worth everything I went through, it was worth, um, the two years or whatever that it took me to write the book and all of the, the headache of publishing and all of that. It was worth all of that. It was worth, you know, not knowing what I'm doing on social media and trying to just say, listen, I, I've done, I, you know, been through this and, you know, um, it was worth everything that I've been through, even in the abuse, because if it can help one woman, it's worth it. And the story and see now you're helping maybe millions of women, who knows? Um, and it just, it, it's a, um, uh, an, an ongoing, um, joy of mine to know that, you know, that, that video, um, it was a college boy that made that video and he, it was, I was kind of almost a test run for him in a way. And, uh, and he, he'll never know what he did for me in creating that video. He did such a good job. And, um, you know, it's just, God has ways of just making such beauty out of ashes. And I, I can't thank you enough for sharing all of that with me. Yeah, no, of course. It's, it's like my, I just feel honored to, um, have this time to like, to talk to you. Um, I'd love to know, like, <clears throat> just the last question I always ask, um, each guest is what's a tip of advice 
that you would have. Um, so I would like to know what would you say to someone who's listening to this? Um, that it was the very thing that had to come to my mind that it doesn't matter what any other person thinks God has got you. He loves you and he will make a way. Yeah. Because that in a nutshell is what I had to come to that. It didn't matter what people thought. Ultimately it did not matter as long as God had me and whether I was sure he did or not, I knew I had to do something. And then, of course, he had his safety net out all the time. And it doesn't surprise me. And unfortunately, I wasn't sure of that when I left because of the things and the way I had been taught. But boy, was he there. I mean, in unbelievable, miraculous, mighty ways. I know that people will listen to this and and be moved by it, but that it's going to, um, I mean, just like your YouTube video did, it reached people and, and, um, here we are. (laughs) And so I know that it's going to reach more people. And so I'm just eager for people to hear this episode and, um, yeah. And also just all to read your book. Um, we all share your book on the, um, what was her name page and on my page as well. Um, because I'm sure there's a lot of other survivors who would, who would be like blessed by that book. Um, well, thank, thank you. It was, it was a long time in coming or <laughs> <laughs> something like that to write. Um, you know, cause you have to take breaks when you're going through all that trauma. <laughs> that I appreciate it. Yeah, no, definitely. All right, guys. Um, so that concludes, um, the first episode of season three. Um, Michelle, I'm super grateful that you came on today and, um, I'm really eager just, uh, for this season. There's a lot of really incredible, um, survivors and, and stories and, um, just really just women who have cast vision for, um, just, yeah, bringing awareness towards uh, domestic violence and against domestic violence and, uh, yeah, just some powerhouse women on this season. And so I'm really excited and, um, yeah, see you guys next Thursday.